Good morning, everybody. We've got a, uh, a special treat today with um, one of our missionaries being in town, Billy Morgan, who is uh, coming from the Philippines, and uh, Billy is originally from Alabama, and um, he and his wife moved to the Philippines um, around 12 years ago, roughly, and uh, he's in town for a couple of months, and so uh, we've, got, uh, we've got the pleasure of him uh, being here today, and at the 9.30 he gave us a missionary report, and uh, this morning at the 10.45 we're going to get a presentation from uh, Billy um, with respect to the Lord's Word in, uh, in the book of Romans. So with that, I'll uh, turn it over to Billy. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Am I on? Okay, good. Well, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for this morning, uh, and we're so thankful for your promise found in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, we say the same thing that you say about our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thankful so much for this opportunity to share your word. And uh, despite the chaos in the world, we know that we can come to your word and, and get encouragement and rest and confidence in you alone. Pray that the Holy Spirit will take this time and teach us truth as we study your word. Christ, let me pray. Amen. Every time I come here, uh, I always like to teach my favorite passages. So uh, one of my other favorite passages of scripture is found in Romans 5, verse 1 through 8. You can follow along in your notes, or if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5. Verse 1 through 8. The title of my lesson this morning is uh, The Blessings of the Gospel. So, the blessings of the Gospel. What is the Gospel? We see that we know the Gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the Gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the gospel is that Christ died as our substitute on our behalf, According to the Old Testament scriptures, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he was buried in the ground for three days and he was raised again according to the scriptures. It was prophesied that the Savior would not see decay, but that he would rise again. That is the gospel. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you have believed, if you trust in what Christ has done in the gospel and what is his finished work, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And there's so many passages of Scripture, especially in the New Testament and especially in the epistles, the Pauline epistles, that he discusses, he discusses our blessings that we have of the gospel. And the Scripture that I'd like to share with you is found in Romans 5. The Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, actually going all the way to verse 10, verse 11, 
He discusses, Paul discusses the blessings of the gospel. Some would call it the blessings of our justification. So we're going to be discussing this text this morning. But I want, before we dive into our text, I'd like to give you an introduction of the text. And if you've studied, I believe, seven, eight years ago, y'all went verse by verse through the book of Romans. I remember that study. And uh, you spent probably a year or two in it. So the book of Romans is a wonderful book of the Bible. It's one of my favorites. And we know that it's, it's the foundational truths of Christianity are found in the book of Romans. So if you really have one theme, one word theme of the book of Romans, it is righteousness, the righteousness of God. And uh, discusses that, Paul discusses through the book of Romans. So leading up to our chapter 5, we need to remember the context of the passage. The first three chapters are very depressing. And maybe you've read Romans. If you spend a lot of times in Romans 1 through 3, You'll, you'll, come out, you'll come kind of sad. You'll be like, wow, this is really bad news. And that's what Paul is doing. He wants us to make us feel guilty and sad and depressed when we read and study chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's really bad news. Man without Christ, we are, it's, it's really ugly, disgusting, despicable before a holy God. We know the... the guess the the um, climax of Romans chapter 1 through 3 is found in Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 20. There is none righteous, no not one, none seek after God. And he just pounds the points over and over again. And then chapter 3 verse 21, but there is a righteousness of God that is found through Christ. It's apart from the law and the prophets being manifested uh, through the finished work of Christ, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ to all who believe. And actually, I believe last time I came here, we talked about Romans 3, 21 through 26. Uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. Uh, hold on. I don't want to quote, misquote Scripture. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So it starts, chapter 3 starts the good news. Well, if... If our being made right with God is not found by works, if it's not by the law, if it's not by good deeds, then what is it by? It is by grace through faith. Justification is by grace through faith. And it's not by works of the law. In Romans chapter 4, Paul deals with a man named Abraham. Because the Jews said it's by works. It's by obeying the law. It's by obeying the tradition of the elders but Paul says, no, it's, it's always been by grace. It's always been by faith. It's never by works of the law. And I'll prove it to you. Abraham, Father Abraham, who the Jews value as the father of the faith, and we do as well, he was justified before he was even circumcised. It was not by the law. It was not by good deeds. But Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So Paul discusses that. In chapter 4, he gives an example of justification by faith. And then we get to chapter 5, uh, verse 1. So if you allow me to read, and you can follow along as we'll be discussing verse by verse. Therefore, having been justified by faith. And we know that justified is the Greek word dikaio. It 
it is used as a passive voice, meaning an aorist passive means in the previous time, God has done the action to the believer, and we come to a point in our lives where God justifies us by means of faith, not by what we've done. But the basis is the finished work of Christ out of the source of faith. So it is based on Christ's work on the cross and received by personal faith and trust in Christ Jesus. So this is referring to our faith. Paul has already been discussing that in verses 28, Romans 3, 28 and chapter 4, that it's by faith, it's not by works. So he's already made that point. Therefore, transitioning from chapter 4 with Abraham to chapter 5, what are the blessings of the gospel? What are the results of our justification? It is by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a blessing that we have of of the gospel, of believing in the gospel. You have peace with God. Do we have peace in the world? Is there peace in the world? The answer is no. But we, we also, when we come to this phrase, peace with God, you need to remember the attributes of God. What comes to your mind about the attributes of God? And the first one is, one that we remember is, God is righteous. God is a just God. He is justice and righteous. God hates sin. He does never compromise with sin. So the theological term that we use uh, that the wrath of God, God's, God is a wrathful God. It's a holy, righteous wrath or anger. It's not a sinful anger like what people do, but it's a wrath upon sin. Due to God's righteousness and holiness, He cannot compromise with sinfulness and sin and evil. Therefore, what Christ did on the cross, and as believers, we, our sins have been propitiated due to the work of Christ, that... God's wrath is satisfied by the work of His Son, and we call that propitiation. That God's wrath, if you're a believer, you can have a confidence and, and, have, and be thankful that you're not under the wrath of God, but you're under His grace. And that the work of Christ is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. We have peace with God. Because later on, if we study Romans 5, verse 9, it says that we were enemies with God. We were at enmity with God. But due to the work of Christ, we have peace with Him. This is an external peace. So the God who made all things and all creation, we have a peace because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So this is, my, this is the theological concept that I cherish the most. And I probably mentioned this a few times coming to this church. Why is that? Because most people in America know John 3.16. Praise the Lord for John 3.16, right? That's a very important verse. Everyone who believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have believed in Christ, that you have a confidence of eternal life because of the love of God, sending His own very Son to die for you and me. That's wonderful. But within the love of God, do not forget the wrath of God. God hates sin due to His righteousness. Due to His justice, He cannot compromise with sin. Therefore, the good news of the gospel, if you have trusted in Christ, God's wrath, God's anger has been satisfied due to Christ. And that is no longer an issue. Sin as far as your relationship with God. Now with fellowship, there is 
this cleansing that we need, and we know that from 1 John 1, 9. But when it comes to our relationship, our legal standing before God, the wrath has been satisfied, and you have been given Christ's own very righteousness. We call that justification. So justified is a fancy theological term, means that we have been declared righteous before God by faith on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Not by what we've done, but what He has done. And we know that faith is not a work, but is only receiving the gift of what God has done through His Son on the cross. So this is by personal faith with Christ. We have this peace with God. That is great news. If you study the history of the Reformation, that there was a, uh, the, the German monk Martin Luther in the 1500s, he, he was really, he, he hated God. He came to a point in his life where he hated God. He was afraid of God's wrath and God's anger. And as a sinner, we should be in, in fear of the wrath of God. I don't think our society in America and worldwide, we really don't have a concept of God's hatred and anger towards sin. So that's missing a little bit. But it's not, to fear, not that we have fear as Christians. So we should, have, we should understand God's a God of wrath, but understand because of Christ, and if you've trusted in the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that we can have a confidence that's not an issue, that God's wrath has been satisfied. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through His finished work, and it's a peace that the world does not know. So we can have a confidence. You know, even growing up in a Christian family, even as an early believer, I grew up in a Christian family, got saved at a younger age. But there would be times, you know, in my life, did I, did I really trust in the gospel? Did I really believe? And maybe you've struggled with that in your life. And then, as I got older and matured in the faith and studied 1 John 5.13 and other verses of Scripture, that if you really believe in Christ, that we don't have fear of death or fear of hell, you realize that that's been taken care of by Christ. There's no need to fear that. So that's the good news. Peace with God. We're not enemies with God, but we have peace with the heavenly, with our Heavenly Father. And then we get to verse 2. Through whom? Uh, the, the through is dia in the Greek, means by means of whom is Christ. We have access. We, and this phrase obtained here, we have obtained. It's a perfect active indicative in the Greek. Meaning, in the original, means we've obtained this in the past and we have this completed action even today in the present day of Paul that we still have obtained this. It, the, the perfect tense means a finished action with the results that remain completed in the present day of the writer. That in the day of Paul, these Roman believers still have obtained this access. The word uh, in, in the NAS is introduction. It's the Greek word prosagoge. Uh, and this, I, I prefer to say access here. This word is used in Ephesians 2.18. In Ephesians 3.12, it is the access that we have to the Father. That we can come to God anytime. Remember in Hebrews, it says that we boldly approach the throne of grace we could obtain, we can, we can come to God. We have this access due to prayer, 
Remember the veil has been broken down in the temple? That we don't have to go through a human mediator, that Christ is our mediator. And we have access to this grace. And that's what this phrase is. Into this grace in which we stand. Almost sounds like a pledge of allegiance here, but it means that we stand. And here we have another perfect tense. We stand in this grace. The Roman believers stood at it in the past, and they remain standing in it, and they have this standing in it in the present day of Paul. So the issue is we stand in this grace today. We have access by grace as believers. We have access to God's grace, and let's not forget that as believers. And let's, let's be thankful that we have access to His grace due to the finished work of Christ. The next phrase found in this verse, we exalt. It's the, actually, in the, everybody knows Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest not anyone should boast. The Greek word used is kalkoamai, for boasting. This is the word boast. But maybe the, the, the translation, exult, is probably a good translation. We rejoice in hope. The word hope. And what does the word hope mean? It doesn't mean, I hope it will rain tomorrow. It doesn't mean maybe, maybe not. It's, a, it's not a wish. Maybe it will happen, maybe not. But it is a confidence. And this phrase, hope, is used I believe two or three times in our passage, used for emphasis, we have a confidence. We boast in the confidence of the glory of God. What does this mean? I believe this passage here refers to the glory of God that we have coming, that we will see God's glory at His return when Christ comes back at the rapture. So when Christ returns, we will see His glory. All the glory of Christ. And we ourselves will be glorified with Christ at the return of Christ at the rapture. We have this confidence. Do we think about the rapture? You know, sometimes we don't think about it enough. I guess for me, the past two years, I've been thinking about it more. You know, because of what's been going on. And and we don't know when it's going to take place, so I'm not making any predictions. But we know today it is closer than when it was yesterday. So let us be, and maybe it's due to my age. I'm coming an old man. I'm 43 now. I'm not a young whippersnapper that I was. But it's like, I mean, maybe as you get older, you think about it more, maybe. And you think about the, the eternal realm that we will all be face to face with Christ. We will see his glory and we will be glorified as well with Christ. So we have this confidence and we boast in it. In the confidence that we will be with Christ, we will, He'll come back for us at the rapture and we will be glorified with Him. And then we, let's move on to verse 3. And not only this, not only this, not just the hoping in the glory of God, not having a confidence, but this, we also exult. Wow, repetition again. What does repetition mean? Just like a school teacher. Paul is a good school teacher, inspired by the Spirit. Repetition means it is important. He uses it for emphasis. We boast. I don't like this verse. Can we just take this verse out of our Bible? Let's just change it. Can we change this verse? 
says, we exult. I'd rather have it say, we complain. We complain in our tribulations. But it doesn't say that. It says, we exult. We boast. It doesn't mean that we are, uh, we are trying to be arrogant. Well, I, I got this problem, and this problem is better than your problem. I have this experience, and this, this is a greater... My problem is worse than your problem. That's not what it means here. I believe in the context here. It's referring to what he means by it is because of the second part of this verse. We rejoice in our tribulations. In the realm of our tribulations, we can give thanks. We can glory in God and have a praise of God, give thanks to God. It's not giving thanks for our tribulations, but through the midst of our trials, we have a confidence that God knows what he's doing in our lives. That's what it means here. Look what it says in this second part of verse 3. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. It's having a confidence, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, that he is working all things after the counsel of his will. So whatever you're going through in your life and whatever I'm going through in my life, through the prosperity, through the adversity, whatever it is, that He is doing something in our lives that's special. He's training us. And that's what He's doing. It, it, we're going through a training. It's like a, uh, through a regimented training. And so when trials come, when things happen, when whatever it is, that's part of our training. He's just like a coach, coaching us to bring about spiritual maturity in our lives. And that's the purpose of rejoicing in through the midst of our tribulations that we, ha- we know that it's, per- it's for our good. It's for, it's for His glory to produce in us spiritual maturity. And here, uh, again, it's, it's where we, we, we are giving thanks. I believe it's a mark of a mature believer. Not, now, as baby believers, we don't have this ability so much because we're immature, And even mature believers and maturing believers can struggle through this. You know, what's our first natural reaction to adversity is to, Lord, take it away. And I believe we know Paul did that with the thorn in the flesh. So there are, I don't believe it's wrong to say, Lord, if it is your will, if I'd rather not go through this. But Lord, if it's your will, let me learn through this. Let me grow through this. And whatever your will is, your will be done. And I think mature believer, if we're maturing in the faith, we can be like Job. What happened to Job? We know he lost his possessions and his kids, all ten kids of his, die, of his children died. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we know that we can rejoice. We should have praised God in the good and praise God when things are not so good. So uh, that's what we should do as believers is have a confidence Interesting to note here, the word perseverance in the Greek is the word hupomone. There's two words for patience in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, in the Greek. One is hupomone. This has the idea of endurance or perseverance, kind of like a long-distance runner. Uh, If you ever know people training for marathons, I've done two marathons in my life. You just don't go out and sprint and hoping that you'll be done with the marathon. It's 26 miles of excruciating mental distress and physical distress. It's not easy. So you've got both playing into the picture 
when you have long distance running. And you got to have hupomone. It's the same way with the trials in our life. The Christian life is not a hundred meter sprint, but it's really like a marathon where, you know, you got different things coming in your life and you, you got to be persevering in the faith and setting your eyes on the author of our faith, Christ Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. There's another, so this hupomone has to do with trials and enduring life circumstances. There's another Greek word for patience, macrothumia. It has to deal with meaning with people. And that's hard. Are you patient with people when they're not so lovable? So if you're married, you, raise your hand if you're married. Uh, most of you. I've been married 19 years. My anniversary is on Tuesday. I'm, I'm going to miss it. But anyway... If you're married, you need hupomone and macrothumia. And I really think both are important, especially the macrothumia, patience with people. So here, the Greek word is patience in difficult circumstances. And then we go to verse 4. The same Greek word used, perseverance, hupomone, proven character. The Greek word is dokimon. It has the idea of tested and tried through life's circumstances that's what god does with us that we in our spiritual life are being uh, buffeted at times and circumstances of life but yet this is developing our spiritual maturity and that's what this verse says here improving character hope what does hope mean again this is the second time is used here hope is a confidence Confidence in things that we do not see. So we don't see the spiritual realm. We don't see heaven right now, but we will. And we have a confidence that Christ will return at the rapture and rescue us from this present evil world. And that's the confidence that we have. Confidence in the Word of God, confidence in Christ's return, and confidence that He is working all things after the counsel of His will through our lives. So that's what happens. This perseverance produces or brings about the approval of the testing of our faith. And this approval of our faith brings about a confidence in something that we don't see here. And I believe, and everybody knows, and we should remember the verse in Titus 2.13. What is our confidence? It's in the blessed hope. This is the glorious hope. Titus 2.13 says, the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's what we're waiting for. So that's the good news. And, and hopefully, as you know, the past two years have been really challenging on this earth. But I don't think it's without accident. God has allowed this to happen. And I know in the Philippines that many people, and hopefully in the States as well, that many people have come to faith in Christ. Or maybe there were believers who were strained from him where God has used these circumstances of COVID circumstances, lockdowns and things and health to, to bring us to, to back into the fold. And maybe believers have strayed away back into fellowship with the Lord. So let us not uh, forget about that, that God knows what he's doing. In verse 5, the third time that the word hope is used here, hope does not disappoint it does not put to shame 
Uh, some translation says, put to shame. It doesn't disappoint. So we're not disappointed in it. It doesn't make us ashamed. Why? Because the love of God, God's love for us, has been poured out within our hearts. The Greek word here has the idea, it's a perfect tense again, meaning it was completely poured out in the past, and it remains in a state of being poured out. So we have God's love completed in our life through our new birth. And this love of God is in our hearts. And how did we receive this love of God? It's through our salvation. It's through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So I love Romans 8.15. It says, uh, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We know it. We have a confidence in it. Of course, that is developed. The Holy Spirit does, uh, moves through His Word and He teaches us. So as we were, we're new in the faith, we, we might not have that confidence as much. But as we study His Word, we realize that we belong to Him. That we can cry out, Abba, Father, to our Heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit testifies to our human spirit that we belong to Him. But it's through the Word of God. And so... This, we know that God loves us, and we, the more that we study, we, we have a confidence that He loves us even more, despite our sin, despite our unfaithfulness, despite our old sin nature, that he, we still belong to Him. But that does, it, it's developed through maturity and through time. But initially, we have it in our new birth, and it's been poured out to us. And I believe this verse is linked back to verse 4, about the trials, so what's the purpose of the love of God? So as we have trials in our life, as we go through different life struggles, we need to know the love of God. Because if not, we'll look at these trials and say, well, God is punishing us. How could He do this to His children? But we know through the Word of God, through the confidence that we have in His Word, that He is doing all things and He's working out all things after the counsel of His will. So this love of God is linked back to verse 4. And we have this love of God forever because we're sealed until the day of redemption. We cannot lose our salvation. And then we get to verse 6. For while we were still helpless, we were in a continuous state in the original language. It's continuous action here. That we existed in a continuous state of helplessness. Another Greek word, some translations might say weak. So we were still in a weak state. In Romans 5, 6 through 9, I believe actually going all the way to verse 10, Paul has four descriptions of us before we came to know Christ as our Savior. Us before, as, our, as unregenerate unbelievers. We were helpless in verse 6. And then in verse 8, he says that we are sinners. Oh, and in verse 6, he also says we are ungodly. And then in verse 10, he says we're enemies. Well, that's not a very good description, is it? But that's what he does. He humbles us. This is, without us, without Christ, we're really nothing, are we? We're enemies of God. We're weak. We're ungodly. We're sinners. And now we're enemies. But now with Christ, we're sons of God. We're adopted into His family. We're the maximum object of God's love. 
and we're going to be with him forever. So, so again, kind of what he does in Romans 3, chapter 1, 2, and 3, he reminds us of the, the bad news that we've already discussed in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So at the right time, says why we were helpless, at the right time, the Greek word is kairos, at God's appointed time in human history, on the right calendar, on the right time, the right moment of human history, Christ died for us. So, you know, why did God send his son into the world 2,000 years ago and not today? And we don't know that, but it was the right time. Because if we look at the Roman world, uh, the, it was controlled by the Roman Empire. The area from Spain all the way to the Middle East was under the, under the jurisdiction of the Roman Empire. Most people could speak Koine Greek. So we had the, the, that language of the day that most people could speak Greek. Why is that important? So the gospel could be spread after the resurrection of Christ. And why is it the Roman Empire? There was this peace. Uh, the, the theologians, uh, the historians call it the Pax Romana, Roman peace. Meaning that for the most part there was hardly any wars going on. There was Roman roads where, the, where Paul and the apostles could spread the gospel easier. So God had a perfect plan to send Christ at that moment. I want to introduce you to another word. I'm sure you've, you're familiar with this word. It is the Greek. You see the English word for? In the Greek it is huper. H-U-P-E-R. Huper means substitute. That Christ died as our sin substitute. Just, it's not, he didn't die just as a moral example to show that it's good to sacrifice for a cause. The main reason that he died it was a substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. He died for our sins as our sin substitute at, to pay for our sins so we don't have to pay for our sins. God did that for us because of his great love for us. He died as a sin substitute. We talked about here the second phrase, ungodly. We were helpless, we were ungodly. He died as our sin substitute. And then we go to verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even someone would dare even to die. Now, there's, there's a, I guess, a little discussion. Is this referring to two people or one people? I kind of looked at it, and I think, it's, I think it's still, it is referring to two people here. I personally don't think we have enough evidence that it's referring to one person. Uh, but either way, the issue is this. Christ did something that is beyond human measure. You know, most people are about self-preservation, Right? Now, we got the firefighters or the police officers or the soldiers. They might, you know, you hear stories about great men of sacrifice. They'll, they'll go in and save strangers, and that's great, you know. That's good. You know, you might have a, a soldier who jumps on the grenade so his fellow soldiers will live. That's really good, and that's wonderful. But what Christ did exceeds anything beyond human comprehension. Can you imagine dying for your enemies? And that's what he did. That's what verse 8 is going to describe. So self-preservation, we, we kind of do that. But we do have people sacrificing a little bit. But what Christ did is beyond human comprehension. Verse 8 is the John 3.16 of Romans. You know, it's really John 3.16 in a way. Verse 8. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners in that state of sinfulness, we didn't deserve God. We didn't deserve his salvation. Christ died for us. And the Greek word for is our word hupere again, as our sin substitute. The word demonstrates in the Greek has the idea of commended or extended his love for us by dying on in our, in our behalf or for us as a sin substitute for us. So again, verse 8 is very precious to many Christians, and it should be. It just states what, what Paul has been saying all along, that what God did, his love for us, you don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but he did it for us. So praise the Lord for that. And now I'd like to br- briefly give you some summary points from the blessings of the gospel. So if you have your papers there, your notes. I'd like to discuss what have we learned through these verses here? What, what, what can we, what's some summary points? So in summary, Paul discusses point number one, these blessings of the gospel found in Romans 5, 1 through 8. Letter A says that we're justified. If you're, the first blessing is justification. You get the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, given to you, not by works but by grace. You ha- can have, we have a relationship with God by grace through faith, by the gospel. Because of the gospel, we have been declared righteous. And he is, declares us righteous. That's a legal term meaning that he looks upon us He doesn't see our sin, but then he sees the righteousness of his own son given to us through grace. So we have been declared righteous by God through faith, by the finished work of Christ on the cross. So that's the first blessing of the gospel. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the second blessing of the gospel. Peace with God. We're not at war with God, but we have peace with him. And let us see in Romans 5, 2, it says, we have access to His grace. That's not something that everybody can claim. But if you're a believer, we know through the Word of God that we have access to His grace, to His grace because of the finished work of Christ. Fourthly, letter D, we have a confidence in the return of Christ where we will behold God's glory at the rapture. So we, we, we boast and the confidence of the glory of God, that He will come back for us, and we will be glorified with Him. Letter E, the fifth blessing of the gospel, is that we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that God is molding Christ-like character in our lives. And that is found in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4 in our text. Also, the, the sixth blessing of the gospel that we see in our text we have been given the love of god through the holy spirit whom we have forever so if you're a christian you got that love of god in you and the holy spirit testifies to your human spirit that you belong to him seventh blessing of the gospel found in our text letter g christ has died as a sin substitute for our sins even when we are in a helpless state And lastly, even though we didn't cover verse 9 and 10, letter H, verse 9 says, 
uh, much more than having been now just been justified by his blood, we shall be saved or delivered from the wrath of God through him. So here, a lot of times in the scriptures, uh, the wrath of God is multifaceted. There's different uh, types of wrath in the scripture, uh, especially in the epistles. I believe in 1 Thessalonians. Paul talks a lot about, in 2 Thessalonians as well, the future wrath of God found in the tribulation. There is a wrath of God that is coming upon this present earth. When the rapture takes place, when the tribulation starts, and later we, uh, you can read the, the Bible, the day of the Lord. And that is a wrath that God will pour out his, the seals found in Revelation, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of wrath. But the church will not go through the wrath of God in the tribulation. Praise the Lord for that. There will be people who will be believers who later come to faith in Christ after the rapture. They will experience that because of their association with the earth. And they, many of them will die martyrs' deaths in the tribulation. But the church itself, the, in, the church age believers, we will not go through that wrath. And uh, eternally, all believers of all times uh, regarding the lake of fire eternally, we will not experience that eternal wrath of God because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Because of our justification by the work of Christ, we will be spared from that wrath as well. So good news is that we will not experience those future wraths of God because of Christ. Also letter I, in verse 10, it says we will be reconciled. We were reconciled to the Father by the work of His Son. Reconciliation means that two warring parties are now brought together because of Christ. God and the believer are now together. We have been reconciled by the work of His Son. Lastly, in Romans 5.10, we will be delivered, future deliverance, by the life of Christ. You can go on and read that and study that in those verses here. Point number two. Paul gives us at least nine spiritual blessings. Actually, my lesson here when I came two years ago, uh, we studied and went through verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. And that is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. So in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And what does Paul do in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14? He elaborates, he lists all the spiritual blessings. We're chosen in Christ. We're elect in Christ before the foundation of the world, verse 4. We are predestined as adoption of sons through Christ, verse 5. And the third uh, blessing is that we're f grace was freely bestowed or given to us in the beloved one in Christ. We have been redeemed through His blood, verse 7. We have been forgiven of all of our trespasses, past, present, and future, verse 7. God's riches were lavished on us in verse 8. We were given the knowledge of the mystery of His will in verse 9. We've obtained an inheritance in verse 11. We've been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, verse 11. Lastly, the last spiritual blessing, we were sealed in Christ permanently, forever, with the Holy Spirit of promise. We can never lose the Holy Spirit. We get it at salvation, and we have it forever. 
And that's the ninth blessing found in verse 3 through 14. So I encourage you, if you're having a bad day, if you need encouragement in your walk with the Lord, read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, and you will thank God of all the blessings that you have as Christians. So that's the thing with the Word of God. You can never get tired of it. It just richly gives us encouragement on who we are in Christ, of all of our blessings that we have in Him. Point number three. These blessings of the gospel are grace blessings. And they're not based on our works or our performance. And that's what Paul does in the apostles as well. They distinguish, especially when we read the Pauline epistles, Romans and Ephesians and other texts. Is it by grace or is it by works of the law? Is it by faith or is it by works? And, and Paul always says it's always by grace. It's never by works. It was always by grace in the Old Testament. It's always by grace in the New Testament for the church. It can never be lost. It's permanent. So these are God's gifts to all members of his family. You don't have to reach a certain level of maturity to get these blessings of the gospel. They are unconditional. It is due to our position in Christ, our union with Christ, guarantees these blessings. They're they're not gained by works, and they're not lost by works or sin in our life or anything with us, thankfully, with that. So we must stand on this theology, because if not, then there's different groups that say we can lose these blessings, or we can lose our eternal life, but we cannot. The Bible makes it clear, we have these blessings forever. A lot of Christians don't even know about these blessings. This is true regardless how we feel. It's not based on our emotional state. Whether we, maybe many Christians don't know about the blessings of the gospel, but we have it forever. If we know it, it brings joy to our life. It brings peace to our soul if we have a confidence in these blessings. But regardless if we know it or not, it is true for every Christian. Every member of God's family whether you've been saved one day or 50 years or 60 years, it is true of all members of God's family that we have all these blessings of the gospel. Point number four. Knowing all of our blessings in Christ does the following things for us as believers. So my, some people will say, well, what's the point of this? How does this help me with my walk with God? Tell me how to live the Christian life. Well, that's true, yes, But here's what it does for you. Knowing these blessings, we have a better understanding, letter A, of God's love for us. The second thing, letter B, we have a deep appreciation of God's love for us and His attributes. Like I said, know the love of God, Romans 5, 8. But remember, God's a God of wrath. God's a God of righteousness. God God of justice. But if you're a believer, you don't have to worry about that. As far as God hates you, God is not angry at you because that has been taken care of by Christ. So therefore, you can have a confidence in His love for you and you you belong to His family forever. Doesn't that make you appreciate God more for who He is and what He's done? Letter C. We have a biblical mindset of our status, our child of God's status. We see ourselves not as the world sees us, but how God sees us accepted and favored in Christ. Self-esteem is something that we should look at. 
I think sometimes the world gets confused a little bit. It, they, we can, the people in the world. Because the world would say, think about something good that you can do, a talent or whatever. There might be people that don't really good at anything. I mean, sometimes I look, I'm like, well, I'm not really good at this or that. It doesn't matter. I mean, I guess for an unbeliever, I, we don't want them to feel sorry for themselves, so maybe they could think of something good. But those are temporary things. But if you have a confidence in Christ and who He is and who you are in Christ, that is so much better than a worldly, of what the self-esteem that the world offers to you. Well, think about a good talent that you have. You can be good at telling jokes or athletic ability. I mean, that's okay. But that, that's just a temporal thing. I'd rather have a confidence of my position in Christ. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm wealthy, poor, middle class, Asian, uh, Caucasian, whatever. It doesn't matter. Healthy or, or sickly, it doesn't matter. The main thing is, I am one with Christ. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm in union with Christ forever. And that's who I am in Christ. Not about who I am in the world. It's not about my educational status. Praise the Lord if you're educated. Praise the Lord if you're not educated. That doesn't matter eternally. But who you are in Christ matters the most. And that's the one that we should be telling our kids because I struggled with self-esteem as a teenager a little bit. And I just neglected verses like this. I shouldn't have. But if I have a confidence in Christ and who I am in Christ, that changes everything and that's eternal. So that's the one that we should instill to our kids about who they are in Christ. And that's my goal as a father. Letter D. We have a peace in, in our soul and confidence regarding our eternal destiny. So that's good news. Because... You know, as a baby believer, you struggle. Are you sure you're a Christian? Look at all those sins that you've done. How can you do that and call yourself a Christian? And it's not, we're not justifying those sins. You know, the, sin is bad. Yes, do not walk in sin. We don't have a license to sin, Romans 6, 1. But whatever the sin it is doesn't separate us from the love of God. And Romans 8, 38 and 39, we can have a confidence that we're going to go to heaven. And the blessings, these are permanent blessings. So if you're in, involved in discipleship, and we all should be as we mature in the faith, uh, disciple your kids, disciple your grandkids, whoever you're discipling, younger believers in the faith, you need to know, they need to know 1 John 5.13, that they believe in Christ, they, have, they can have an assurance that they're going to be with God forever. And that's what these blessings do. When you read verses like Romans 5, 1 through 8, when you read verses like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, those are forever. Those are not temporal, but they're permanent. Lastly, or letter E, we have a correct view about ourselves. We see ourselves dead without Christ. That's what Paul does, Romans 1 through 3. He does it again in, in Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. Look what he did in our text. Oh, we're helpless without Christ. We're ungodly without Christ. We're sinners without Christ. Oh, by the way, you're enemies without Christ. And all of that now is not true any longer because of Christ, because of what he did for you. And as a believer, we have this confidence. Letter F, now as believers, we have the motivation to apply the love of God in our daily walk. So the thing is, it, knowing these blessings of the gospel it gives us praise in our soul. We can have a confidence and thanksgiving 
And when you go out and, and see the creation and think about God and you praise Him and give thanks, if you study Romans 5, 1 through 8, if you study Ephesians 1 through 14 and other passages, it has a, makes you have a greater appreciation of who you are as a Christian, of all the blessings that you have of the gospel. Secondly, it affects the way your relationship with other people. Hopefully it does. Can you be grace? Can you give grace to people who don't deserve it? You know, there are believers that are pretty, you know, their old sin nature is really bad. You know, you've been married. I've been married 19 years and my wife is not perfect. Hopefully she's not listening. Anyway, please don't listen to this. But anyway, you know, she's not the little angel all the time, you know. I'm not. You know, it's just, we have old sin natures. But the more that you understand grace and the blessings of the gospel, the more that you can show grace to fellow Christians. So let's show grace to each other. Point number five, last. These blessings that we have because of grace should be distinguished and separated from our future rewards due to our faithfulness to the walk that God has ordained for us. This is important that a lot of times Christians don't understand. There is the Bema seat of Christ. There is a judgment seat of Christ for believers only. Unbelievers won't be there. And not all believers will receive the same reward. There will be faithless believers. There will be fruitless or, I guess, believers who won't have anything. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. All their work will be burned up. Okay? So the Bible does teach... uh, there, is, there are rewards and crowns based on how we apply the Christian walk. How, are we living by faith? Are we living, walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? Are we practicing the love of God in our lives and, and showing other believers that? You know, so there is an accountability for all children of God. But this is different. This lesson is not talking about our faithfulness to God, but these blessings of the gospel is separate. This is for all of God's children regardless. It is unconditional. But rewards are conditional based on our faithfulness to Him. So let us make that distinction. So many times in so many places, maybe Christians get confused. And, they, and if not, it can lead to a works-based salvation and, or under, we just get confused and muddy the waters between uh, our walk and our position in Christ. And let's not do that. So let's make sure we keep these separate. So in conclusion, before I close in prayer, have you believed in the gospel? There might be people here. And this lesson is a beautiful lesson. It's really good news. How do you know if this is applicable in your life? And the gospel teaches, and maybe you don't know your eternal destiny, There is no earning of salvation. Paul makes it quite clear in Romans 3.10, There is no one righteous, no, not one. Salvation is not earned by works. It's not given based on what you do. It's not based on what you do for God. It cannot be earned, but it is only by grace. And that's why we, like I mentioned, Romans 5.8, that God commended His love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it is imperative to understand the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, for, according to the scriptures. He died on our behalf. He was buried and he rose again 
for us. We cannot earn our salvation, but Christ has done the work. And the invitation is found in Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It is not by doing good deeds. We cannot do it. But Christ has done it. Trust in Him. Put your faith in Him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you see, we should trust in what He has done for us and not in ourselves, not in our works, but what He has done through the gospel and Christ's death, His burial and resurrection. And if you've trusted in Him, if you believed in Him, you can have a confidence that all of these blessings are true for your life. And the good news of the gospel that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. So let's close. Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're so thankful for the gospel and the blessings that we have in him. That you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for us. That we can have a confidence in his finished work. I pray, Father, that there are people here who don't know you as Savior. That they will trust in you alone and trust in your son's work on the cross, that he paid the work of salvation so that we don't have to do anything. We, we cannot do anything. We're helpless. We're weak. We're sinners. But your son did the work of, for us, Father. We're so thankful for that. We're, thank, we're so thankful for all the blessings of your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.